Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Greetings, dear listener. Producer and co-ghost Ash here. I just wanted to let you know that I had some mic troubles on this episode and the audio quality isn't exactly where I'd like it. The conversation is still excellent, and our guest and, of course, co-ghost John the Licorice Guy have an amazing discussion, so I hope you enjoy it, despite a little audio problems along the way. Then again, you don't want to you don't want to like burn out all of your energy in like your pre workout warm up. You do want to save some of that to maximize your spooky gains later on. No, I love that we're starting with the workout advice right out the gate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if we can well, keep that well, going strong, like number one, I know I listen to Horror Vanguard while I'm working out um, all the time. So if we can just kind of encourage people and coach them through during the conversation. I mean, let's be honest, let's be honest, like, podcasters are in their, we are, in our own way, elite athletes. Um, we get on, <laughs> we get on here every week, we're flexing the discourse muscle, like, so, that, that it's gonna be, it's gonna be a feature of this week's episode, it really is. Yeah, the brain is a muscle, too. <laughs> exactly. And, and we here on Horror Vanguard are deadlifting the gravestones of cinematic discourse today. Uh, I am one of your co-ghosts, Ash, joined as always by John, a.k.a. The Licorice Guy. How's it going, John? I am feeling very... I'm, feel, I'm feeling pumped. I'm, I'm feeling it today. This is going to be a lot of fun. I, I, too, I'm feeling pumped. I'm feeling jacked. I'm feeling in no way homoerotic. And we are joined by Dave Billig at Labor Lifts. How's it going? It's going really well. Uh, before anything else, I just want to thank you guys so much for letting me set up my uh, podcasting squat rack in one of the HV Crips many <laughs> spooky alcoves. You guys uh, really know how to make someone feel at home here. Yeah, it's no, it's I mean, no problem. We, we strive for that. If you need someone to spot you, we've got you. This is this is it's all it's all part of the experience here in the HV Crypts. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And uh, Dave, where can our where can our listeners find you and support what you're doing? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at LaborLifts. I also have all my work, um, personal training, writing, um, independent comics, all together at DaveBillig.com. Uh, my own academic background is in sociolinguistics and classical studies. Since then, I've left Hell academia yeah. and gotten certified by the National Academy of Sports Medicine, and I've been training clients professionally now for a little bit over three years. And, and full disclosure, uh, Dave is my personal trainer. And just a shameless shameless plug here, but like I never really like got into fitness as much as I wanted to until I started working with Dave. So I'm seeing gains, I'm feeling good about it, and it's a program that works for me. So thanks. I highly recommend Dave's services. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm flattered. <laughs> all, all, all of the necessary links down in the show description, of course. And um, well, like we, we are we. What I just I just realized I need a way of segueing to segueing into what we're talking about today. And um, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do very much setup here. Um, Dave, I think you are gonna have some very interesting things to say about today's movie, but. 
before we get into the discourse, I think it is time for, um, honestly, honestly, what I think is most people's favorite part of the show. Uh, Ash is going to explain what we're talking about today and why. Oh, we've got we've got something special for you today. Take it away, Dave. Well, if you don't know, you'll soon find out. Years ago, my roommate took me out to a bar where he used to compete in a pinball league. He introduced me there to a former teammate of his who I still only know by the name that everybody else called him. Tank. Tank was this gentle, friendly, enormous man. A former high school football star with a body the size and shape of a two-door refrigerator. (laughs) I spent most of that night talking with Tank, and afterwards on the drive home, my roommate told me this story. Uh, He and Tank had been drinking at a pool hall we all used to frequent, and this man further down the bar was shouting over everybody, spewing all kinds of uh, horrible homophobic garbage, drowning out all the other noise in the bar. And then Tank, this huge, hulking, like quiet man, he leans back from his stool, catches this guy's eye, and says, Hey, we don't talk like that here. And this guy clams up, and after a few minutes he pays his tab, gets up, and leaves without saying another word. And that that whole story on the car ride back seemed like such a simple thing, but it has stuck with me for years. The the French pioneer of physical education, Georges Hebert, was inspired by his experience in a rescue effort uh, during a volcanic eruption on the island of Martinique in 1902. Uh, He saw the training that he had undergone as a sailor and the training of the soldiers and firefighters in that rescue effort he began to see that in the light of what it really meant to be physically capable. And that was to be able to render service to your community. Mutual aid. Now myself, having been a young cis white man and a much less experienced organizer during the protests following the murder of George Floyd in 2020, I, at that time, was asking a lot of my more seasoned comrades what I would be able to do to help. And what I got from them was the same answer that I give to younger organizers now. If police will be more reluctant to hurt you, you stand on the front lines. If you can be detained or arrested without it ruining your life, stand between your comrades and the cops. And if you have the means to give, give to those who don't. And if you have the means to train to become strong in any sense, stand up for those who don't. I have no illusions about how privileged I am to be able to dedicate one or two hours every single day to to weightlifting, to practicing martial arts, to learning these physical skills. Or even the privilege I have to be able to live inside where I can cook nutritious foods, where I can sleep eight hours a day and recover from the work that I do all day. I haven't always had those privileges in my life, and I know plenty of people who never have. Être fort pour être utile is the model that Heber developed. Be strong to be useful. Whatever strengths you're able to cultivate, there is no higher use than to dedicate them to the struggle I believe that so many of your listeners see themselves a part of. I've been lucky enough to stand on pickets and protests and put my body between my comrades and the cops or between workers and counter-protesters, because that's something I can use this body for. 
It's how I reclaim the body that labor and capital have tried to alienate me from. It's how I put it to the highest use that I know. In the words of Eugene Debs, the little that I am, the little that I am hoping to be, I owe to the socialist movement. And the absolute least I can give back to it is my body and its strength. And to be such an able fighter as well. Hell yes, here we go. I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I, maybe I blacked out for a second, but I'm sure I... I I'm sh- <laughs> I'm sh- I'm sure I just started to hear the international playing <laughs> o- over the t- over the top of that. I don't I don't know if that was just me. I'm sure uh, listeners will be able to confirm that that happened to them as well. Uh, but I am I am I am shaken to my core with uh, what I think is maybe the first guest pricey on Horror Vanguard. I, I am so, so shaking right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was amazing. So Dave Dave sent me his uh, their four four page note document earlier, and I was looking through that anecdote that you wanted to read at the end, and I'm like, there's I, after reading it, I was like, there's nothing better that I could write for the Pracy for Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell than this. So like this is this has got to be it. Why not? Uh wow. I am I am th- I, we're in a, we're in uncharted territory for the show now. We've we have. We have pushed beyond our limits and have entered new domains. And I, <laughs> I am so I am I, I found that I found that very moving. I found that very true. Uh, and I am so excited that that honestly very beautiful speech starts our discussion of the 1995 film Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell. Let's go. <laughs> It's it's time. It's time. Shinichi Fukuzawa's Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell is such such a good movie. So let's let's enter the formalism zone and and talk about talk about this hour long Evil Dead homage. <laughs> so I don't know if this is something you guys came across in the prep for this episode. It's something I didn't see until rewatching it earlier today uh, to prepare for this recording. But this ep- this movie was not only directed by Shinichi Fukuzawa, but also mm-hmm. produced, written, and starring in multiple roles. So if, mm-hmm. if we're yeah. going to talk oh, about yeah. lifting, you talk about lifting in a whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so I, I just found out that this morning, too, and I was looking more into this film, that, that he is literally the entire movie. And usually, usually when you have a man starring, directing, and writing a movie in which he is a jacked superhero, it doesn't end very well. I think mm-hmm. this is like, this and Neil Breen movies are the two times I've seen that be successful. Uh, I, I would agree, but there is there is something that I would push back on, just ever so slightly, which is, um, is this an Evil Dead Kind of like a knockoff or an homage. I would say you could do that quite quite obviously, but I think a much more obvious kind of genealogical link here is that this is uh, a restaging of Hamlet. <laughs> Please continue. Yeah, do elaborate if you don't mind. Uh, yeah. uh, I I mean we have the appearance of the ghost of the father. We have the sins of the father being worked out by the uh, by the son. Uh, we have uh, the death of the love interest of the Ophelia figure. 
we have the kind of uh, wider questions of morality, of the of subjectivity, of of the role of the body uh, under the control of an agential power. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's all very, I think it's all very straightforwardly clear. But you know, am I am I reading too much into this? <laughs> No, no, no. I, I think you're absolutely correct. I'm, I'm just kind of shocked by how similar Evil Dead itself is to Hamlet. <laughs> Shakespeare. Shakespeare's a sneaky guy. He winds up everywhere. Uh, Personally, yeah, I he, was just blacking out and imagining the version of Hamlet where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays the main character. <laughs> yes. Oh, that would be great. Uh, I, I mean, like, it's, so there it's have all been a lot that. of. It's oh, all that. On. It's all that, right? It's all that. There have been a lot of movies that have been, however we want to phrase this, heavily inspired by Evil Dead. Let's let's say as an even-handed way to phrase this. A lot of them, I think, are, there's a couple that I really like, but a lot of them are like very obviously trying to cash in on a kind of formulaic approach to what Evil Dead does. Um, Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell is like just straight up lifts shots and sequences from evil dead yeah but it it's wonderful it's amazing <laughs> it feels much more like a passion project than it does like um like a cash grab ripoff oh totally and it, it, it's exploring different things from different angles too like like things are changed that are like the, the the fact that the chainsaw is is replaced with like a barbell and some weights I, I, it's just it's just a, like to change ash from like this kind of like generic early college man to to this like older bodybuilder dude i think is a great and useful shift well and i think even then you have this um this kind of component of ash being this kind of younger more naive uh character in that uh, the main character in bloody muscle is he says he just started working out again about six months ago. He he wants to be a bodybuilder, but you still uh, have the choice to carry over this naive aspect of the character in that he he's not. He's not a professional bodybuilder. He's someone in transition to that, uh, still kind of discovering that identity. And it comes into play at the end when he he's told his his greatest weapon is in the basement with all his weight equipment he walks down there looks around and grabs the shotgun mm -hmm. he, he doesn't have this kind of confidence in his own uh his own strength both both literal and metaphorical um he's just kind of coming into his own as this bodybuilder character well i also think it's, and I, I, oh, it's, go on. it's important to point out that like there's a degree to which this this becoming is also a kind of negation of something, right? Right at the beginning, he's like, oh, he, he doesn't have a job anymore. His, he doesn't have parents anymore. He's broken up with his girlfriend. And so, so she, and, and she goes, well, what are you doing? What you, like, what are you doing now if all of these things are kind of like absent? Uh, and, you know, just like, just like anyone who's been through a heartbreak, he starts lifting again, <laughs> which, which is just a, just a great detail, just a great detail. But also like, but it does show the, it, the kind of point that I'm trying to get to is the, this act of self-creation, this act of mm -hmm. like making, make, literally making oneself requires a kind of disentangling of the self from its prior kind of entanglements. Yes, absolutely. 
I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think this film, in ways, in ways that are distinctly unique from Evil Dead itself, engages in some interesting conversations around technology. Mm. Like, the <laughs> fact that the, 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 it's, it's not so simple as to say that the gun is not useful or it's like just a trite symbol of kind of like this phallic masculinity that he has to discard before becoming like, you know, himself unto himself. It's, it's something that he has to integrate, you know, like his, his masculinity is not diseased. It's just kind of misinserted into his self. So it's something that he has to like take agency over again and shape in a way that's different from what he's kind of been, uh, indoctrinated into right like I, I found that was really interesting and that kind of ties into the special effects you know because like this movie like I'm, I'm so confident this was I couldn't find this out for sure but this looks very shot on digital um, like it is grainy as all hell the effects are goofy uh, but this is also everything I love about Evil Dead like the, the effects are goofy it's very amateurish but extremely effective and it's like we're kind of in a moment. So Netflix has a list of pre-approved cameras. If you don't use one of those cameras, your movie will not go on Netflix. Your movie also needs to be shot in 4K, even though most devices cannot display 4K cinema. Um, and most theaters don't even do 4K. When you go see a movie at a theater, that's like 2 point something K. It's not 4K often. Um, and Netflix has the same requirements for sound. They've got tons of requirements that are technology-based that you need to do in order to have your movie played on Netflix. And what does that what does that achieve? That doesn't that doesn't make better movies for us the the movie going public, you know that that is that is in pure service to this capitalistic teleology. Well, it's interesting to note too that this movie, despite being shot in ninety five, uh, didn't see a release until the twenty teens. Yes, uh, and that's that's I think really important too because Netflix would never put this movie up. You know, like, like this, this movie's only going, uh, like, only getting a lot of public attention now because of, like, like Shudder and Vinegar Syndrome and all of these people who like re-releasing uh, uh, goofy, unwatchable horror movies. Uh, the creator, though, uh, Shinichi Fukuzawa, is very much um, online and present on Twitter and seems to have alerts for the mention uh, of this movie. Oh yeah. When uh, when I was doing my live tweet watch through, I, I said something about how the movie's only sixty three minutes long, and he popped up immediately to say that yes, uh, some website had incorrectly listed it as being sixty two minutes, but it is in fact sixty three minutes long. <laughs> God, what a fucking Chad move that rules. <laughs> and also, for the record, can we can we just talk about? Uh, how great it is to have a film that's just barely an hour long. Oh, it's oh so Oh my god, perfect. that made me so happy. It doesn't need any more time. It does what it needs to do and it's out. Like, like how beautiful is that? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, 60 to 90 minutes, that's the sweet spot for a feature. Yeah, absolutely. We don't need, we don't need those bloated MCU-like like lengths here. We just have a succinct beautiful piece of indie dare i say experimental cinema this is uh, it, it's a testament to what you could do with shorter run times too a lot like a lot of people are like there are so many movies horror movies especially that are bloated to hit the feature length runtime okay. and like especially for a genre like horror you often don't need those extra 30 minutes oh could you imagine how awful the like three hour cut of this movie would have to be 
I know, I know, I know. You say awful, but all Ash heard is, "I want the three-hour cut." Oh, Ash would love <laughs> the eight hundred-hour cut. Working out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also fully recognize that I'm probably the only person who would enjoy that. So uh, the the only other formalism uh, point that I want to bring up about this movie is that the score was so good, just so good. I love the music in this. Like it just, it fits perfectly. It, it hits the right notes. It's it's goofy but also serious. It's in conversation with the rest of the genre. Like everything, everything about this movie, despite the, you know, like this this was Sinichi Fukuzawa's first film. So despite the fact that it's a entry level attempt at cinema, like everything is hitting. Everything is working the way it needs to be for the kind of movie this is. And even some of the. Um, things that I think would be considered amateurish, like cutting off. Um, there's a point where the psychic seems to be dead. It has a dramatic, you know, musical number that then just cuts abruptly. It doesn't fade mm-hmm. or transition or anything. When you realize he wakes up, that works so well for this movie. You know, even the rough edges play so well into it. Well, I think that connects to what Ash was talking about with the the kind of technological appearance of this, right? So there is there is a lack of perfectibility about the aesthetic presentation of the material, which is cutting against the, this kind of thematic question, which we're going to get into about the perfectibility of the body, right? So it, it is it is a I, I I really like the idea of moving beyond this notion of like, oh, they made mistakes or they didn't know what they were doing. But in fact, thinking about even the limitations of something as a deliberate choice. Oh, absolutely. It just like, you know, just like the protagonist of this movie, just like Shinji, you know, f- fully internalizing the agency he has over his body and the world around him. Like, we also should just accept the agency of this art. Yeah. You know, like we, we can have craft conversations about like how effective was this effect or this camera angle or the, the use of transitions or something. And those are good and powerful conversations. But we also need to like I, I think it helps the discussion of cinema to return the agency to the art, to accept this as something that's full and complete, including its, you know, dents and dings. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Absolutely. So shall we shall we go lift uh lift some heavy uh enter enter gym pun here discourse zone <laughs> oh my god i'm gonna i'm gonna go crawl under my my workout bench and sleep <laughs> where should oh, we let's begin? talk about possession possession is a theme yeah dave what do you what do you think well i think um so much of what there is to talk about with with this movie is in where it chooses to deviate from the evil dead like one to go ahead and change the protagonist from right from this uh, kind of hapless young man into a bodybuilder and also i think there's a lot more focus on uh this possession you have possession by evil spirits in the evil dead but it's in here from the very beginning of the movie. You start with this flashback to Shinji's father, who's uh, with, it uh, seems like, some uh, lover, and he intends to marry someone else. And 
she says to him, you, you belong to me. You can't go off and marry someone mm -hmm. else. As soon as the haunting begins, what's the one thing that this spirit needs? It needs to possess a body. Um, and I think that that ties in with the choice to make Shinji a bodybuilder. Right? This whole film is about the possession, the ownership of bodies. And in the end, that's what helps him overcome uh, the, this malicious spirit is not looking to this weapon, not looking to um, the breaking down of uh, the body that the spirit is possessed, but taking ownership of his own body and its strengths and its capacities. I think this raises a kind of really interesting question, which is like, what do we think our relationship to the body is, right? So I think for, I think for, it's it's very historically speaking there's been a very there's this long tradition of like the the cartesian dualism the separation of the mind and the body uh this this idea that we are essentially kind of like non-physical beings that are kind of like steering a, around this meat suit mm. um but but also there's like older ideas of you know so so for example in in kind of like older uh, christian theology right if you referred to a dead body you referred to it as remains it was human remains mm -hmm. because the thing that made it a human body was no longer present after death right because that is that's the presence of the soul so yeah. I, I think it's incredibly it's incredibly interesting to think about possession especially in the context of this film as an exploration of like what does it mean to be an embodied subject in the first place? And yeah, I think those are those are both really good points. The and, and just just the framework, the framework of bodybuilding and physical fitness too, I think is so so interesting. And I know Dave, you wanted to say something about alienation of the body under capitalism. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how often are we really given? Uh, full agency over our own bodies under capitalism uh, for for so much of our day our our body is an instrument it's a tool used to accomplish a task and we can look back to that that dualism uh, if we go ahead and accept a, a materialist approach our our mind our our brain is it's an organ of the body even if we're uh, laboring in this kind of intellectual capacity if we're uh, writing studying things like that we're still using our body every kind of labor is the in instrumentalization of the body and that necessarily alienates us from our own body as much as it does from the product of our labor we're alienated from the instrument of that labor and so bodybuilding or any kind of deliberate attempt to alter our body uh, I think represents a kind of reclamation of a part of ourselves that we're separated from by the process of labor and capital and so I think that brings an interesting um, aspect to the movie when we're talking about possession and then given this choice to make the protagonist a bodybuilder someone who is in the process of taking possession over his own body uh, and it's interesting, too, that he mentions being out of work or unemployed. He's separated from labor uh, mm -hmm. under capitalism. 
And that's the context in which he's able to reclaim his own body. I think Hell yeah. I think this is a super interesting reading. I think this is a super interesting reading. Uh, and it sets up this kind of broader uh, disc- discourse question, right? Of like, can we, let, let's talk about the gym bro problem on the left. <laughs> right? Oh, there is like so so it is it is a it is a very common almost like axiomatic idea that if you are if you're someone who's like a gym rat if you're someone who's like super into working out super into lifting particularly you are naturally predisposed or you're automatically predisposed to to like very right-wing politics mm-hmm. and a lot of co- a lot of contemporary uh new right philosophy explicitly links lifting with a kind of like fascist vitalism um mm-hmm. and i'm 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 super interested to know dave what you think about this and like what what is the way in which we can think about like on a very simple level what what's the way that we can think about like work out from a from a left-wing point of view because i think you've started to touch on that talking about this idea of being alienated from the body itself yeah well first of all i think that that association of um physical culture uh fitness culture with these right-wing ideas uh tends to go back to uh the rights kind of fetishization of um classical greek and roman uh ideas because you had a lot of greek thinkers in particular talking about the relationship between the development of the body and the development of a kind of upright moral uh citizenship uh, you, you see connections in like uh, East Asian philosophy around martial arts um, and that necessarily being tied into a sort of spiritualism or asceticism uh, or at very least kind of meditative practices. A lot of different cultures through history have associated the two. Um, in the Precy, I talked about um, Georges Hebert, the French physical educator, and he gets co-opted by the right as well because he talked uh, on the one hand about kind of reconnecting with our um, our kind of primal natural styles of movement, kind of a, a pre-industrial way of using the body. Mm-hmm. And that falls in with all this nature fallacy, uh, frankly, bullshit that the right likes to fetishize. Um, and they ignore the other part of his philosophy, uh, philosophy about this mutual aid, about using your yeah. strengths for the community. Um, and so, yeah, I think the right, like, gravitates to the aesthetics of this the kind of marble column avatar uh crowd um and they <laughs> and they don't they don't really think about what um you know why why is it important um to a modern masculinity t- uh, to be kind of muscular and physically strong and all these things it's it, it's not it's this reactionary viewpoint looking to a past when this sort of stuff was more vital in your day to day. Um, but they're, they're kind of looking to this kind of naturalistic, uh, or nature fallacy kind of prelapsarian view of what physical strength, uh, and physical beauty can be and accomplish. Um, I feel like I'm kind of losing the thread here. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I think I think that the, I mean one that happens to me all the time on this show. So so do not feel bad. Um, but but also I think this is really important, right? Because like one of the few few times that we hear like 
I guess like a fitness of philosophy being fleshed out is it's by often center right politicians who are who are doing return with a V uh, aesthetic pol or aestheticized politics, you know, and, and they're trying to be like, oh, well, you know, like the working class man is brawny because he's lifting hay bales all day. You know, like, you know, my hands look like this. So her hands look like that or whatever, you know, like it is this expressly fascist way of theorizing the existence and the nature and the structure of bodies. But when you look under the hood for a second, it's just a way to keep, you know, systems of oppression going. Right. Right. If, if we're fetishizing kind of like hashtag farmer strong, you know, like that, that only exists with a given set of like working conditions that are very exploitative. Well, and this, this kind of that style of fitness culture is so essential to, I think, a fascist view of society and culture. It's more instrumentalizing of the body. You need to be strong. That needs to be a virtue so that your strength can be of use to the state or to a militaristic mm -hmm. project. Uh, what you might actually develop as an idea of what you would like your body to be like what would make your body something rewarding that would give joy and pleasure to you mm -hmm. that has to be subsumed to the needs of the state. Yep. I think, I think what you just said is like a, exactly the way that we can kind of critique this naturalized vitalist quasi fascist idea of like returning to a, to the state of nature, right? You know, uh, a lot of it is done through some awful, pseudo nietzschean philosophizing Ooh, yeah. um, but it's but it's like okay if if strength is a kind of naturalized idea but strength is also something that can be gained right the body like the world that we inhabit is something that we have a kind of capacity within us to remake and what that does is it takes us beyond those kind of restrictive categories of the normative and allows us to embrace this idea of exactly what you said of like the body is a site of joy for the self right uh, not a not something that is co-opted or not something that kind of like uh, conforms to a pre-existing standard, but something that uh, is a source of. And I think it's super important. You pointed out the pleasure of it, because like uh, the other way that this is often talked about is like it's about self-denial. It's about like punishment. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. about rep mm -hmm. repentance for your capitalist consumption. And neither of those are, are particularly satisfying because they only they resolve either into this kind of like semi Nietzschean fascism or, or this uh, high, it, it, in its own way uh, kind of Protestant a spirit of capitalist self-denial and punishment. And I think we can absolutely talk about we can talk about the body in a way that is joyful and productive and libidinally pleasurable. Um, but that that and the interesting thing about that is that extends far beyond what happens like at your workout bench right <laughs> like all, all all of that joy and kind of potential can go it can then extend outwards from the gym into the world well and you see those views of fitness kind of competing anytime you go to the gym you can see um you guys have talked a lot about desire across the course of this show um, and how we we're often taught what we're supposed to desire. And, and we see that constantly with body image, uh, advertising, um, casting on TV shows, the uh, Marvel steroid stack that every one of their actors mm -hmm. is now required to go on. Uh, yeah. We're told what we want our bodies to look like. 
Mm-hmm. And so why is it any wonder that people go into the gym and they think, oh, God, it's Monday and that means I need to sacrifice an hour and a half of my my slim remaining free time uh, to the treadmill so that I can have the body that I'm told I want to have. Whereas the people who are in there enjoying what they're doing, one, they've developed an idea of what they want their body to look like for themselves. And they're enjoying the process of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, this is, I, I guess, a place for the Arnold clip, if you want. Um, but <laughs> Arnold is clearly not just in the gym so that he can go out on the stage and meet with uh, the approval that, that he gets. He is finding mm-hmm. this uh, kind of hedonic pleasure in the process. You know, he might find it Absolutely. also in, yeah. in the outcome, in, in the body that he achieves, but he can only get to, to that achievement through actually enjoying that process and finding reward in it for himself, not for I, I some think- external source this is so important right like what, what you just said i think is so vital to bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell and that's there's this you know like like to bring some mark fisher into this there's this depressive anhedonia to so much fitness culture mm-hmm. you know like oh it's like you know rise and grind at the gym spend all those hours to look like hugh jackman you know and i think that it's not rewarding it's not satisfying and no one's having fun doing it they're they're doing it because they've been told to do it by by someone there's like a biopower thing happening here mm. but i think in the context of bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell um i'm, I'm just going to keep trying to say the, the title of this movie faster and faster each time for the rest of the episode <laughs> <laughs> but but so like when when uh you know we we get a sequence where shinji our protagonist uh, like takes, you know, like we, we get, I think there's two sequences where he's like shirtless and like flexing for the camera and doing like, uh, like body, classic bodybuilder poses. Mm-hmm. And he's not like cartoonishly jacked. He's not Schwarzenegger. He's not huge. Right. But he's, he's really toned. He's got, you know, very well-defined muscles. He's a very fit dude. Right. And like, you know, I, I saw a picture recently of Hugh Jackman shirtless from the first movie he did Wolverine in. And Hugh Jackman shirtless for a promo for the upcoming Wolverine. And like in the first one, like he just looks like a really muscly guy. And in the new one, he is like a living dick vein. <laughs> like it is <laughs> such a dramatic shift. And it's 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 because of these Marvel movies. You know, it's it's because of like like they're like, oh, this is the standard for the male body. You have to be like zero percent body fat, totally shredded. To, to be quote unquote like fit and hot as a superhero would be, and that is that is a horrific standard. And, and for what it's worth, and there are um, people pushing back on that. I don't know if you heard um, mm-hmm. about Robert Pattinson's preparation for uh, for the Batman. Oh yeah, no! Yes, King King shit right <laughs> yes. here. King shit right here. He, so I, I'm saying this as someone who loves bodybuilding as an activity, as mm-hmm. a sport, or you know, oh, a, yeah. as a culture. Um, props to Robert Pattinson for just telling them, fuck, no, I'm not going to do that. Cause they wanted him <laughs> to do the, um, um, shoot. They wanted to, him to do what every Batman actor has done and put on like 50 pounds of lean muscle, probably take, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a liter of HGH a day and, and become yeah. jacked and huge. And he said outright, I don't think that's setting a good 
standard for other actors, for the audience, oh, um, yeah. for what I okay. want to do with my own body, and I'm not going to do that. Fuck yeah, that rules. And like, I, I think to go back to something you said earlier, right? Like, it, it's not that inherently the, the kind of Schwarzenegger style build is bad. Like, I love strongman competitions. I have huge respect for people who like do do competitive bodybuilding and sculpt muscle like that. I think that's incredibly cool. And like, but but like the the Robert Pattinson Batman point is just so good. Uh, and, it's another and that, reason. It's another reason why I really love that movie because he's just a he's just a guy. He's just he's just Pattinson and Case dude just don't miss. Yeah, just a weird little dude. <laughs> well, and and Batman's supposed to be a martial artist, right? You look at any real martial artist, and they're not two hundred and fifty pounds at four percent body right? fat. Uh, they would get knocked out immediately if they were they would pass out on the walk into the ring um it gets to the heart of what uh, i'd like to try and advocate here which is a, a sort of body anarchy not a body fascism whether whether that's the body fascism of becoming you know a big you know strong uh example of physical fitness or uh, of the opposite saying that you know anybody who spends time in the gym is is just wasting their time and, yeah. and neglecting other things the point is not to prescribe one way or another of having a body it's to kind of encourage people to figure out what what the body that's going to serve them is going to look like whatever that looks like if you deep down inside want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I I want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But, <laughs> Hell yeah. But that's coincidence. That's just what I find rewarding. You know, it, it, it's not what uh, we ought to be prescribing for anybody. Ooh, fuck yeah. This conversation has just been so good so far. Oh. All right. Well, how do the three of us feel about goo? Oh, no. Oh, no. Is, oh. That, is, that, the, is that the goo <laughs> klaxon I hear? Uh, Ash, it, that means it's time for you to for you to blow our minds for the next sixty seconds. <laughs> the goomalism zone is that how we're doing this now? <laughs> yes, every episode needs more goo, please. Oh, so like this is an Evil Dead movie, right? Like, or it's it's Evil Dead inspired, it's Evil Dead esque, it's Evil Dead, um, uh, like Evil Deadiana, I don't, I don't know how we want to how we want to phrase this one, but like no no Evil Dead inspired piece of cinema would be complete without copious amounts of goo. And and this movie delivers. If if you want to see if you want to see Robotus and blood flying literally every direction for about sixty three minutes, then great, I've got a movie for you. It, in like and in the context of the film, I found this to be really interesting too because there's often when I think of goo, I think of it as having this kind of like dissolutory quality right like goo goo renders us back to our base components and and that and especially in the context of horror and the gothic is what makes it unsettling right we're full of goo we're full of this kind of like oozing bacterial and fungal and microbial life that one day one day will outlive us right there, there will be a moment in each of our lives where the bacteria living inside of us continue breathing and living on past our conscious minds but in bloody bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell, um, I, I think it kind of like it, it inverts this in a way because like what is what is physical fitness if not like a different way of accumulating goo, right? Like like the the entire body is just all these different kinds of oozes and right. We've been talking about like kind of the fascistic approach to this with like 
you know, like Hugh, Hugh Jackman and other like MCU stars drinking buckets of HGH every morning just to like keep the gains. Um, it, but then we have like this other way of approaching it where like there's this kind of like mind body dualism that I think we need to push against that relegates physical fitness to something simplistic and, and something anti-intellectual. Right. Physical fitness is often seen as like, you know, like, oh, that's for like himbos and meatheads and jocks, you know, people who aren't thinking. Right. Like that, that, those aren't the, the kind of cultural languages we use to describe individuals who are philosophically engaged. But knowing the body is a way of knowing. Right. These, these physical knowledges that are, are produced through working out, especially here in Body Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell. I, th I think are so important because is it not the like ontology of getting those gains that allows Shinji to kind of escape this like, you know, haunted vampire castle that he's in? Is that not what opens the door for him? And like as, as much as the brain is this like sloshing gelatinous mass, like as, as Dave, as you said earlier, I think before we started recording, like the brain is another organ like the muscles of the body, right? And and it's not that they're two separate systems, it's that they're deeply interwoven and their relationship is deeply mycorrhizal. You know, fitness of the body and fitness of the mind flow together. Well, I knew it was That's good. right, all, I, all I, strength, I, all charisma. <laughs> Zero <laughs> int. <laughs> yeah, the, the corollary of a real... Um, kind of materialist approach to to the self of seeing the brain as just another organ the, the corollary to that is we are all goo all the way down to our core and if the goo is something shifting and unknowable you know our body is that too um there there was this quote um i'm gonna completely blank on where where it came from uh if the brain was simple enough for us to understand we would be so simple that we couldn't mm -hmm. and the same thing goes for the body for us to be able to to conceptualize ourselves to move through the world um, and interact with us the body and the brain have to be so complex as to be unknowable you know, there, there's something monstrous to the body itself and all the processes that are outside of our control as if they're happening off in another body we have no contact with um, mm -hmm. I think it's relevant here that um, one word for uh, for monsters in Japanese is bakemono uh, mono being a thing and bake meaning change something that changes and shifts and becomes mm. something else and and what else in what other way can we conceptualize the body through this lens of physical training than as Ooh. something that can is infinitely mutable something that whatever trials we put it through it's it, it's dialectic right at, at every point we're dealing with uh this contradiction between the requirements we place upon our body and our mind and its existing capacities and at every point we're finding a a synthesis the adaptation that the body goes through to be able to handle these contradictions and then encounter new ones the body is constantly shifting and changing in a way that is uh, in, in a way, monstrous. I think. This, Ooh, hell yeah, I love that. This this kind of ties into something that I find I find super interesting about the bodybuilding idea in this, right? Because in in a sense, I, I'm talking about like 
like show bodybuilding is <clears throat> is kind of is it has no immediate utility right <clears throat> it is it's subjectivity as a kind of aesthetic making right it's about it's about it's not necessarily just about what you want the body to do it's also about how do you want the body to appear right in the world uh obviously obviously the strength of things is is a, is a real but like show bodybuilding is about the appearance it's about definition it's about the pose right it's about the pump it's about how does this body look and, and I if i can uh, if i can interject yeah. too the the approach to training is is different um the way that you train in order to get um maximal uh, what we'd call hypertrophy just cross-sectional muscle size is different from the way that you train for maximal strength um yeah which is largely neurological you are going out of your way to train for that size and that aesthetic rather than the strength that that does kind of come along with it but you have to do something different but but this is the cool thing about what you were saying right the body the like you know we we quote the kind of like zizekian lacadian point right this is the self being barred right the barred self Mm -hmm. there is an element to ourselves with that we that we simply cannot access and there's an element to which in this context the body is uh there's there is this dialectical relationship between knowing and unknowing between the body being what it is and being what it is becoming right this idea of it of it being the the body is this kind of like interstitial space into which the future can be kind of molded by by ourself that's great (laughs) i love this this is oh my god i'm having so much fun with this conversation it's just so enjoyable to like be be part of this he said one of the hosts of the show (laughs) (laughs) i have to constantly fight against uh at this point the the learned instinct to oh i hear ash and john talking uh horror vanguard's on i'm gonna just kick back and listen (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're we're doing muscle confusion for for your hv listenership right now (laughs) (laughs) there well go ahead good well what i wanted to kind of get onto is i feel like we've been dancing around something a lot when it comes like i we've been we've been talking about the kind of the ple- the the pleasures of the body um and i think this in, inevitably has to take us on to issues of gender and sexuality right this is uh this is in a way a very a very straightforward very uh on on in its opening 20 to 35 minutes a very kind of like heteronormative film um but also we get into some very complex territory very quickly so I'm, I, I, I think we should just start there. So I think, I think this is really interesting, right? Cause and there, and there are so many things going on here that I think will allow us to like discursively transcend like these kind of cis and heteronormative and often deeply patriarchal approaches to the male physique and strength, uh, conceptually. And one of them for me is that, so Shinji is our bodybuilding protagonist. And, you know, as we've already talked about, he's not like ultra jacked and super masculine. He's just a big, tough guy. Um, but then, you know, like he's, he's going to this, uh, this, this haunted house with um, a, fr- a friend of him, a friend of his, who's a woman who's a ghost hunter. Right. And um, a psychic that just kind of shows up in the car and tags along. And I think like when, when they, so when they get to the haunted house, the ghost is trying to steal all of their bodies. 
it's it's a it's a ghost of a woman who is body hopping and like i i find this to be really interesting because it's inviting us into the space where we kind of have our three human protagonists as a divided whole you know we have we have the spiritual side right the the one trying to find the the truth about afterlife and ghosts we have the psychic which what, what is the ultimate pinnacle of mental fitness other than psychic power right and then we have the ultimate fitness of physical power is someone who is literally in touch with his muscle enough that he can fight ghosts <laughs> just by punching them. And then we have, we have kind of the house, right? We have this larger embodiment, this container for all of them that's, that's shifting through each of these pieces and, and reintegrating them and dissolving them. And like, it's, it's this very fluidic and complicated gendered space where, what do the two of you think? I think there is a phenomenal essay waiting to be written on this film uh, and kind of like trans philosophy. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah, and I like I in, in a way I feel like I feel like that's part of this 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 idea of like gym culture that we've been talking about. You know, the bodybuilder is the idealized man, um, but the idea of the body is something utterly malleable something that can become almost anything. I really love what you said, Dave, about this idea of like body anarchy. Cause this mm. does this doesn't doesn't just extend to like fitness culture or, or or gym culture, but extends to this idea of like what do you want what do you want your body to become? Like and and how do we create a world in which not only can we kind of like have the bodies that can do the physical things that we want them to do, but that can look the way that we want them to look as well, right? I think there we keep running into this um, kind of linguistic uh, empty space here, and we keep talking about like gym culture or fitness culture or gym bro culture. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing that I think is uh, we see kind of a parallel between this gym culture and, and we see something similar going on in philosophy is in this transition in terms. Because we do, we talk about like fitness world mm-hmm. or fitness culture now. The term at the at the turn of the century with you know old timey strongman things like that used to be physical culture. This kind of recognition that you know what we're doing with our bodies um, in our training in the gym is necessarily a part of the broader culture that they are tied in. Um, and I think you see something similar going on with the the use of the term political economy that you don't see going on so much, right? The recognition that these two things are linked. And there's this almost like a, like neoliberal disconnect of the two. It's the personalizing of your your fitness or your gym activity as disconnected from a broader culture. Oh, I love that. That is such a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it ignores that uh, even now you still have... Um, sports as uh, particularly a battleground in this kind of transphobic discourse in the states and in the uk mm-hmm. and, and more yeah, broadly absolutely where it's it's so tragic because here you have uh, particularly in bodybuilding where uh, body dysmorphia is rampant uh, yeah you you have you know whole gyms full of people who look in the mirror and say you know, I don't like 
the body that I'm in. It doesn't give me joy. And then put a tremendous amount of effort into altering their physical presentation. Um, and not to reduce uh, a trans experience to just something uh, physical, but you have you have there enough commonality for what could be a, a radical um, solidarity. And I think there's a reason oh, totally. that then that site, the gym, uh, sports in general, that site where you have that potential has then been focalized so much as a battleground against that solidarity. I, I don't think that's I'm, a coincidence. I'm, I am so glad you brought this up. I am so glad you said the you said the S word, right? The this idea of solidarity. But and the reason that that happened is not only for those political reasons, but for also this the the idea of something that within the film that I think we should talk about, which is this, this notion of heteronormativity, right? Because mm-hmm. because if we admit of that solidarity, right? If we if if that is if that becomes part of like what does it mean to to be someone who looks in the mirror and doesn't necessarily like the body that they're in at the moment, like how does that destabilize the uh the kind of patriarchal heteronormative image of what masculinity full stop is? And I'm just thinking of like I'm just thinking of like the famous uh, line here from the very beginning of the film with like a man needs muscles. Uh, I and I'm I'm super curious to know what you both think. I think so that that line. Oh, go on. No, no, no. I was just going to point out uh, what I I think you actually mentioned early on that this is also coming from a guy in the wake of a breakup. So what does a man need muscles yep. for? What is his aesthetic yep. presentation for? But Ash, I apologize for interrupting. Oh, no, no, no. That is that is 100%. I was going to start with the joke of like, well, he did just get dumped. So we know why he's lifting so hard right now. Um, <laughs> we, we've all seen the reels and the TikTok videos, right? We know that we know the bit. Um, but I think that that line is really interesting, right? A man needs muscles. Uh, because like on a literal sense obviously it's true the heart is a muscle we all need muscles or we don't get very far in life but like you know, like dave your point I, I think is is the point right like it's an, that's an incomplete sentence you know it's it's a man needs muscles for mm. right it's that other thing that's missing right and if you, if you want to to build your kind of like your relationship to physical culture whether whether you're pursuing uh, a particular sport or a game or like a, a physical a physically demanding like hobby you know like mountain climbing or something like that or you have aesthetic goals right like that four i think is incredibly important to focalize because if you don't have that kind of connection to to a like philosophically engaged and materially aware motivation right and, and history for your fitness it's just going to get sucked up. It's going to get sucked up into these patriarchal discourses. It's going to get sucked up into these pseudo fascist aesthetic discourses, you know, cause like this is the Howard's in point, right? You, you can't get neutral on a moving gains. Huh? How about that? Does that work? <laughs> no, no, not, not very well. <laughs> but that's kind of like, yeah, like, you know, your gains are not neutral, right? Like you're, when you're in the gym, you're lifting for something, even if you don't know what that something is. Well, and that's the very first question in any personal training relationship, too, <laughs> is to sit down and ask somebody, what is your goal? Why are you here? And the first thing most people are going to tell you is, oh, I don't know. I, I, I want to get in shape. 
or I just want to be fit or even something a little more specific. I want to lose, I want to lose some fat around my stomach and you can't get anywhere with that person. If you just say, okay, sounds good. Let's go. Because what does, what does being in shape mean to you in shape for what, Mm -hmm. what does being fit mean? Even with a goal, like I want to lose some fat around my stomach, right? I can go ahead and put you through a workout that if we do it three times a week, you're going to lose some body fat, but I will probably not see you after the first couple of weeks because we haven't gotten down to why, what's the actual motivation. Yeah. What, what is your desire is another, is another way of putting that question. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so really what you're saying is that, like, working in training is, is like being a psychoanalyst. <laughs> you have absolutely no idea how true right that is. <laughs> right? We don't, we don't know what we want because we don't yet know what the body, what, what we are capable of, right? Mm-hmm. And, and more really off- the, whole, the whole point is not to, like, get people to want a certain thing, but just to get them to be honest about what it actually is that they want. And more often than not, I'll get, you know, three, six months into working with a client, stop and ask them, like, are you liking what we're doing? Or is there something else you want to focus on? And I have had, um, I have had a client who came in wanting to lose, um, like 60 pounds, lose 20 of those pounds and then say, you know, actually what the reason I keep coming back is because I like deadlifting. Can we just do that? (laughs) Hell yeah. Or we start doing boxing as cardio. And then I had a client turn to, to want to do semi-professional martial arts. She just came in to try and lose some weight, right? Our our desire is often not the first thing that, that comes to mind when we try to think of what it is. Oh, I think that's, Oh, go on, go on. And like, this is intimately connected into the kind of heteronormativity of the gym as well, right? Because mm-hmm. when you start uh, realizing what the body, what your body specifically can do and become, uh, you might discover new sources of joy and pleasure, even li- yep. a kind of libidinal pleasure. Uh, and it's like, I, th- I think, I think the the uh, the uh, the urgent need to enforce a certain kind of heteronormativity on the gym is very much a case of a sublimated desire that turns into a kind of hostility right all of that all of that heterosexuality is not as immutable as people might think that's all i'm saying (laughs) absolutely i i I totally agree with this point right like it it, fitness more broadly is deeply queer deeply homoerotic Mm mm-hmm you know, like you, 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 you literally cannot be, be like sick gains, bro. I love your form while squatting and your pecs are just hypnotizing me. You cannot say this shit without being a little queer. Yeah. Well, and it also is worth notice noting that the gym is one of the few places that, uh, ostensibly, uh, hetero men can make comments like that, uh, in a yes. socially acceptable mm-hmm. way. I, uh, I'll walk into the gym and again, uh, just see just everybody in the gym. Uh, I'm lucky to have a relatively like supportive, uh, smaller community gym, you know, guy, ostensibly straight guys looking around like, God, man, your ass looks incredible. I love those like five inch inseam shorts. They really show off your quads. Like Mm -hmm. you could walk a hundred feet outside to like the bar across the way and make the same comment and 
you know people are ready to get into a fight there there's something about that space yeah yeah Ab- absolutely absolutely right like like and, and this ties back into the idea of, of fitness as a way of knowing this is a form of intelligence right this is a form of social awareness you know the, the more in touch with our bodies we become the more kind of like interconnected into these communities the more aware of ourselves we become the more understanding of the, our own patterns of desire you know there, there's a kind of emergence that happens here in, in, in these fitness spaces and fitness-based relationships well we've been we were a little over an hour now uh so perhaps this is a good place to uh to unwind unwind after a heavy day of cognitive lifting <laughs> Uh, any any final thoughts, John or Dave? Yeah, I think the only thing that uh, we haven't quite touched on is the the kind of relationship between uh, bodybuilding and fitness and uh, death and decay and entropy, mm-hmm. which is something that this movie forefronts. I think. You know what? Yeah. What do you two, What do you two think about that? I I just think there's something there's something interesting there to the the knowledge of our own mortality and not even mortality not even this eventuality of 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 dying of completely shutting down one day but just aging and the process of entropy right the the idea that our bodies past a certain point are just more or less declining that being the case why undertake something like physical training or bodybuilding right any Anytime you are spending in the gym trying to build your body up is time that it is simultaneously decaying and falling apart. And that reflects in a very, I I don't know, very visible way, something that I think uh, is paralleled in the rest of just being a human in your life, going through trying to create things in the face of uh, entropy of a world that uh, in many ways will age and decline as well. Why do we undertake these tremendously difficult, um, exhausting kind of time consuming tasks, even where, you know, in the end, the, the body that we're building up will one day not exist or a lot of the work that we're doing will, uh, will disappear. will will simply be lost and forgotten. But doesn't it, doesn't Ooh. it, doesn't it mean that we ha- like the engagement with the body is an engagement with death, right? That there, there is, there is in, as you pointed out, there's inherently a futility to it inherently because you can go like the gains can be as sick as you want them to be, but like <laughs> t- time comes for us all, right? The body, uh, it really, it's, it's, I think the, the only way in which this is like a useful thing is as a way of, reckoning with our own contingency right and it's not even it's not even time but like no matter how good the body might be there's an old a bill hicks joke about this right where he talks about a guy who went jogging every day and was a famous Mm -hmm. jogger and then one day he just had a heart attack and died a bill hicks lights up another cigarette and just goes (laughs) 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 because it's like it's like if you if you think of it as like a hedge against your own mortality, it inevitably makes you resent your own body, mm-hmm. right? But if we if we yep. ex, if we understand it as a reckoning with our own fragility, with our own literal physical squishiness, right? The fact that all of this one day will fall into pieces, um, 
there's something there's something in, incredibly comforting and joyful about this whole, whole idea of like well what could it do now right i know what it will become but like that doesn't yes. that doesn't mean that that like the now is negated completely absolutely this i, I think this is such a phenomenal point to make because if, if if you're lifting to try and buy some time in in your in your older years you're actually just dying faster mm-hmm right? You're sinking time now that, that could be used to live. You know, you're hastening your own death in a weird ontological way. And, and there only is the now. We, we can plan for somewhat predictable future events. You know, we can plan for less predictable future events. And we can do things to hedge things, certain percentages either way. But like, man, some of us are going to get hit by a bus crossing the street you know, like it, it, the Reaper is a bit arbitrary in their decisions sometimes. And I think like n- not as a way to try and answer this philosophical quandary, but as a way to make the question more welcoming and less cold is that like, what are the sickest gains if not friendship and community? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to flex my pecs right now, a.k.a. the people I love. No, I, no I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, we end the episode oh, there because that well, that is that is literal perfection. <laughs> uh, there, there's something inescapably human there. I think about finding finding something <laughs> worthwhile that may one day amount to nothing. Um, well, uh, uh, so, so as as we're heading out the episode here, uh, uh, Dave, I just have two questions for you. Uh, what's your website? Where can our listeners find you again? And have you ever seen Michael Fish's 1988 movie Death Spa? Because you're absolutely coming back on this show, and I don't know too many fitness-themed horror movies. <laughs> oh, my God. I have never seen or heard of it, so I'm going to need you to send me that immediately. I will. I will. <laughs> um, as for where people can find me, um, again, I'm on Twitter at LaborLifts, uh, labor spelled L-A-B-O-R. Uh, you can also find all my work together in one place at davebillig.com. And by the time this episode comes out, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be able to follow my prep for next year's um, Dragon Con's Muscle Nerd Cosplay Physique Competition. Hell yeah. Uh, I haven't done a competition prep in about two years, so I'm planning to kind of use that as uh, an opportunity to... Uh, let people kind of follow everything from the workouts to the nutrition to just my thoughts on bodybuilding um, in general and ask me questions about that. Um, And I hope that'll be kind of a fun experience for people who don't know what that prep is like. Um, And before we close out, I just, I want to share one um, little quote that I I set aside here and I'm going to be kicking myself. if I don't find a way to include it, but um, (laughs) Oh yeah, go for it. (laughs) There's a, there was this um, YouTube video um, a few years ago put out by uh, the bodybuilder John Call and the um, sadly now deceased uh, legendary uh, bodybuilder and trainer John Meadows, where uh, Meadows is putting Call through this absolutely grueling um, leg workout that includes just having him do squats uh, to failure till he physically cannot do anymore. Ooh. Uh, which if you've ever done squats before, you know, that is one of the most taxing full body exercises. And it takes a lot to get to the point where your legs just physically will not hold you up anymore. 
you know, they're made to do that all the time. Um, <laughs> and there's a point where, um, you know, call is at the top of the squat. He's sweating, he's panting, uh, he's turning red and Meadows stops trying to coach him through the lift. And he just says to him, it's not, this isn't about the lift anymore. This is about digging down deep and finding out if you have a soul. Oh, 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 I love that. And, and that has stuck with me forever. And I hope it'll stick with some of the people listening as well. We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.